Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I want to talk to you um, about the Great Confession. Christianity has, uh, has been called the Great Confession. Have you ever heard that phrase? The Great Confession. I was doing a little research because I've known it was called the Great Confession, but I didn't know where it really came from. Um, but uh, the early theologians, they actually looked at what Peter said. Do you remember when Jesus uh, said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that confession is the great confession. And it is truly our confession, is it not? If, we, if we're here, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I want to ask you a question. And you might need to pull this mic back just a little bit um, if you're back there because I'm hearing some ringing. But how does that uh, confession change our life? How does that belief impact our lives? Or probably a better way to say it is, how does the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, how does that change our lives? Because one of the problems, one of the pitfalls for us as Christians is this danger of of coming to the place where we always go through the motions, but we lose the reality of the motion, what the motions are representing. Does that make sense? Um, it, it's like we can come to church, we can worship, we can do all these things and go through the motion, but is there a real tangible connection with God? Is there, is, can we, can we, is it possible that we can go through the motions and actually have no tangible substance to our activities and our actions? Think about it. It's a danger. It's a pitfall that we can fall into. Um, because, you know, even though today, today the uh, entrapment of a cultural Christianity is becoming, you know, less likely because a few years ago it was, it was beneficial to say, I'm a Christian. But ever more in our world, which is becoming more and more secular, more and more um, pagan even, it's not necessarily a social benefit to say you're a Christian. You could get along fine without that. So those entrapments, uh, the entrapment of being a cultural Christian is kind of dwindling away, but there are still things that we practice. There are still things that we go through that are should be and are filled with meaning and power and life. But if we're not careful, they can become lifeless traditions. Nobody wants just lifeless tradition, do you? I don't. In the Bible, the Jewish leadership, they had become this, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, they had the law, man. The law was written with the finger of God, you know, on the mountain with the thunder and lightning and angels and power. They had the law. They had the temple worship. They had all the ritual cleansing, the acts of righteousness that they would practice. And all of these things should have been a way for them to know God. It should have been a way for them to draw closer to God. But what happened? All of these activities actually became an end in and of themselves. It became so bad that when Jesus showed up, he actually said this in John 5, 39. You guys are searching the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that are testifying about me. They're bearing witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you have life. All of the things they were doing were pointing to Jesus, and they were so busy doing the rituals of the things, doing what they were supposed to be doing, keeping the traditions, that they actually missed Jesus when he came. And it was all about him. Let me ask you this. Is it possible that we could miss Jesus? 
I'm not saying we're missing Jesus. I'm saying, is it possible that we could be so busy just doing the Christian thing that we miss Jesus? It's a pitfall. We need to be aware of it. So what about us, our groups, our fellowships, our meeting together? All all of that, what we do, we're supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be pushing back the darkness, renewing our minds, equipping us for Christian service, right? For the ministry, that's the whole purpose of the fivefold ministry is to equip people for ministry. And we're supposed to be equipping and growing and moving, renewing our minds, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. But what happens when these activities that we do just become an end in and of themselves? What if it's, what if we get to the place where it's enough just to get together and just say we believe these things? We say we adhere to this doctrine or that doctrine. We say we love God. But my question today is, does he really have our hearts? Does he have our desires? Does he have our affections? Or does he just get our lip service? Does he just get our traditions, our motions, the, 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 the Christianized things that we like to do? You know, we say we believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, just like Peter. We say we believe in clean and holy living. We say we believe in winning the lost. We say we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We say we believe in healing. But how much of that is lip service? And how, how much of that is truly resonant in our hearts? Because something about your heart, God designed it this way. Your heart is always working to bring about what it truly wants. What do you really want in your heart? That's what your heart is always working on in your life, to bring about that thing that you want, what you truly want. What's in your heart in abundance is what manifests in your life. Yeah, Jesus said that, didn't he? And now, no, this is not to say that everything that happens in your life came out of your heart, okay? There are attacks. (laughs) There are accidents. There's a devil working. So I'm not saying that we create all of our own problems, but sometimes we do create our own problems. Sometimes we do. But what I'm actually saying is, as a general principle, you are designed by God in such a way that you can create new realities in this world by bringing them out of your heart and into existence, You can create new realities in this world by bringing them out of your heart and into this present world. Jesus said this in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. He produces good, just like an apple tree produces apples. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of his heart. His mouth speaks. What is in your heart is, that's in abundance is what your heart is always working to bring out into your life. It's coming out in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words. And it's coming out, it's being manifested in our lives. I like the Christian Holman Christian Standard Bible because it uses the word there in that verse, the good storeroom of his heart. Think about that. Uh, the, I think the King James and a lot of the others say the treasure of your heart. But the Holman Christian Standard Bible says a good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. You have a storeroom in your heart where you can store up good and you can store up evil. And what's in your heart is ab- that is in abundance is what's coming out into your life. But you have the power to change things in your world by bringing things out of your heart. 
and into this world. Isn't that good? I think that's cool. So if we want to change some things out there, you know, we always want to change things out there. Maybe the first place we need to look is in here. Right? I mean, we're always working out there, but maybe we should take some time and find out what's really in here. You know, I've watched people who um, believe the, uh, uh, you know, uh, and rightly so, they they speak to the mountain, watch them going through and battling sickness and speaking to that sickness, speaking to things. That's exactly what Jesus said to do. You need to do speaking. But it it's, doesn't do you a lot of good just to speak if it's not in here, right? When we're around each other or when we're around the problem, we learn the right things to say. But what if we take some time and examine what's truly in our heart? What if we take the time to plant the word in our heart and then let that overflow come out of our mouths? Let it change our world around us. Come on, that's really good. That's really good. Go to Proverbs chapter 4, 23. <clears throat> I love this, this passage. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart. Your heart is important. If you're a, a kid in here, and uh, you're, I'm talking to my kids in the back, keep your heart. Guard what you look at. Guard what you see. Keep your heart pure. Listen to some of the other verse uh, translations on this. Um, the CJB, I've never heard of the CJB, but I found it on Bible Gateway, so it must be good. It's actually the complete Jewish Bible. But listen to how the complete Jewish Bible reads Proverbs 4.23. Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life's consequences. Guard your heart, because it is the source of life's consequences. The CEV says, carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of true life. Your thoughts, where do you think? As a man thinks in his heart, if you believe in your heart, your heart is your, your organ, your spiritual organ where you believe and think and bring things out into the world. So he says, carefully guard your thoughts for they are the source of true life. International Children's Bible, be very careful what you think. Your thoughts run your life. See, you think you're running your life, but it's what's going on in your heart when you're not thinking on purpose. Do you know what I'm saying? It's what you've allowed to be in your heart in abundance. That's what's running your life. The Living Bible, I like this one. It says, above all else, guard your affections. Isn't that a good word? Guard your affections. Does God have your affections? Or do, you know, things of the world have your affections? It's a fair question. But guard your affections because they influence everything else in your life. See, what you allow in your heart will influence everything else in your life. So if you're trying to change something out there, this your heart's a good place to start. And be honest, man. Find out what you really believe. Find out what God really said. Find out for yourself. Go to the Bible, read it, see what Jesus said, see what the Bible says, look at it in context, decide you're going to believe it, ask yourself, do I really believe this? <laughs> Take the time to, to plant God's word in your heart like a seed. The last one here, the NIV, uh, above all else, guard your heart. There's that word, guard, keep your heart, guard your heart. Guard your heart, everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. So think about this. What's in your heart is what you're going to think about 
what you're going to meditate on when you're not thinking about something else on purpose. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right? When you go to work, when you go to school, you have to think about certain things, right? But when you're alone and you can just let your mind drift, what's in your heart is what's going to be going on in your mind. Pay attention to that. What's in your heart is where you're going to end up spending your time when you're free to do what you really want to do. Because let's be real, we don't all have a lot of free time. (laughs) But when you have free time, what are you going to do with it? Because what's in your heart is what you're going to gravitate toward. Because your heart is directing and affecting your life, right? Uh, What's in your heart is what you're going to speak about when you're not speaking on purpose, right? When you just kind of let your mind go and just let your heart flow, What's coming out, not when you're trying to be Christian or not when you're trying to impress somebody, but when you're just letting your guard down, what's in your heart in abundance is what's coming out. See, we're all hungry for a move of God. At least we say we are. We all want revival. At least we say we do. But I want to tell you this. You are the catalyst for that move. You are. Right here, right now, you are the catalyst for revival. And as you allow God to move you, the world will be blessed. But we've got to want it and not just say we want it. We've got to really give God the affections of our heart. See, religion demands a confession, right? Religion demands a conformity. You're going to say this, but your heart knows better than that. Your heart actually demands that things change. You know that. You know you're not satisfied just by conforming to a a confession of something. You know you want to see certain things change in your heart. You want to see actions taking. You want to see victories in your life. So we need to get our hearts in the game if, if we want God to be able to reach this world through us. We've got to be fully committed. Give him our affection. Give him our desires. See, because lip service is a really, it's a problem to God. Lip service is a problem to God. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus was saying, these people honors me. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He can get lip service anywhere, man. But their hearts are not, they're far, not just not with him, they're far from him. Man, isn't it amazing? Listen to this. These people honor me with what? Their lips but their hearts are far from me. How in the world can your lips and your hearts be that far apart? Is that even possible? Think about that. That is possible as a human, my lips and my heart can be miles apart. That's a profound thought right there. But listen, when our hearts and our confession are both truly in alignment with God, then he can start bringing about the change that he wants to bring about in your life and in the world. When our inner life in this, in our outer life, you know, when, when what my heart is saying and what my mouth is saying and my actions being my outer life, when those are all in agreement and in alignment with God, then he can start to work through me and bring about change. So we gotta, we've got to give him our heart. Matthew 21 is just an amazing chapter. I love Matthew 21. Jesus, Jesus arrives at Jerusalem in Matthew 21. Okay. And uh, in verse 23, we see him. I want to start there. So if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew 21, um, we're going to stay there mostly for the, for the few minutes I have left. 
Jesus is in the temple. We see him. He enters there that morning, and the chief priests and the elders of the people, this is Matthew 21, verse 23, the chief priests and the elders of the people, they come up to him as he was teaching, and they say, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? They want to know by what authority and who gave you this authority. Why are you doing this? So to understand what's really going on here, you're going to have to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to just summarize it for you so we don't have to read it, okay? It starts with him entering the city with the king's welcome, the triumphal entry. He's coming in there, man. The crowds are cheering him on. They're quoting prophetic scriptures saying, Hosanna, blessed be him who blessed, what is it? Hosanna to the son of David, right? The son of David. What's that mean? Son of David it means he's the king. Okay, that wasn't, they knew what that meant when they said, Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying, he's the king. And they're waving the palm branches and putting their coats down. It's the triumphal entry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He comes there riding on the donkey. The crowds are cheering him on. And what's he do? He walks right into the temple like he owns the place. And he starts kicking over tables, money changers. And he said to them in uh, 2113, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And so now they're asking him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? You just came in here. You got to understand what's going on, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't just about kicking over the tables and trying to purify the temple. Because those, those animals are supposed to be there. They were the sacrifice. If you traveled a great distance and wanted to offer a sacrifice to God, you would have to bring your money and buy a sacrifice to sacrifice. So those animals were supposed to be there. Those, those, uh, those money changers, they were supposed to be there. So Jesus wasn't just cleansing the temple from the greedy money changers, although I'm sure there was some greediness going on at the money tables. He wasn't, but what he was doing was he was actually pronouncing a judgment on the temple itself. How's that? Because they had this system working like a well-oiled machine, man. The system's working. The money's coming in. The, the, the offerings keep getting burnt. Keep that fire going. Keep the money coming. Man, it's working for him. And he comes in there and kicks over the money tables, scatters the place, and he temporarily pauses the temple worship. And that pause in the temple worship brings the question about the validity of the temple worship itself. Interrupting the system, it calls the whole reason for the temple's existence into question. Let me tell you something. We need Jesus to interrupt our system. I'll say it again. We need Jesus to come and interrupt our system. When we pray, we need Jesus to come and interrupt our prayers. Oh, don't bother me now, Jesus. I got to go to work in five minutes. Let me finish my prayer. (laughs) When we worship, we need Jesus to come and interrupt our worship. Kick over the money table. (laughs) Interrupt what we're doing. All, All the churchy things that we do and all the Christian things we do as Christians, we need Jesus to come and interrupt those. Amen? We need Jesus to interrupt our system. We need him desperately to interrupt the status quo. And I'm telling you, God is looking for an opportunity to bring life and truth into people's worlds. But sometimes we can become so complacent in our own systems 
that we can miss what he's doing. If it's an inter- if if you get an interruption in your life, don't just freak out. It could be God. It could be God saying, "Wait, pause. Got something else for you." Right? He's seeking an opportunity to bring life and truth into people's lives. Do you remember Samson? Any kids know the story of Samson? A little bit? Yeah, the strong guy in the Bible? Yeah, my daughter stands up. She's nodding her head. Good job. Good job. Well, you probably don't know this story, and I'm not going to tell it all. But in the early days of Israel, uh, in the days of the judges, the nation was ruled, and they were oppressed by the Philistines, right? Okay. But the people had become complacent with it. And so Samson, think about this. This guy, Samson, is set apart from his birth to serve God. And he's supposed to be Israel's leader. And he falls in love with the Philistine woman. And what does it say in in Judges 14.4? Listen, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. See, the Philistines were ruling over Israel, and God was not happy about it. But they were complacent. They weren't doing anything. And God set him up, man. He set him up so that he could get Samson to go and attack his enemies. I'm telling you what, God is looking for opportunity against things that we've allowed in our lives that we've become complacent with. See, they, the Israelites were complacent in their circumstances. They made peace with the status quo. And then God caused Samson to fall in love with this Philistine woman. Why? Because he's stirring up some trouble. You know, we're so busy making peace sometimes. We need to stir up some trouble. Come on, we do. Um, things in our, especially, look, I'm not talking about going out and throwing rocks at people or anything like that. I'm not talking about taking up arms. I'm talking about the things that the devil has done in our lives and in our church and in our family that we've become complacent with, that we've gotten used to. God is looking for opportunity to get you stirred up and angry about it so that you'll do something and he can back you, so that you'll do something he can work through you. We need to give God the opportunity the opportunity that he wants. Because listen, God did not authorize that peace with the Philistines. He did not authorize that ceasefire that you made with the enemy. He did not approve those terms of peace in that situation. He still has a goal. He still has an enemy. And he still wants to bring light into darkness. He still wants to bring his kingdom into the world. And so he enters the temple in verse 23, and uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Do you know what they really wanted to ask him? They really just wanted to ask him, do you think you're the Messiah? Is that why you're doing these things? Do you think you're the Christ? You think you're the king of Israel coming in here acting? Because why? Nobody would have authority over the temple other than the priests except for the Messiah except for the Christ. And he comes in here and he takes authority over the temple. And they want to know, do you think you're the Messiah? What's going on here? That's really the, just think about it. That's really the question behind him. And then Jesus answered them. I'm going to ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it from men? Here's a great answer. 
because it trapped them. It, 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 see, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus, right? John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus and the voice came, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist was the one there who said, hey, you see him? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh, the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus. And John the Baptist says what? The one you see the Holy Spirit come on? He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit in fire. John's witness was that Jesus was the one. Right, That was his whole ministry. John's whole ministry was wrapped up in the fact that one that's coming after me, he's the Messiah, I'm the forerunner. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. John's testimony was that Jesus was the Christ. And they say, they're wanting to know, Are you, you think you're the Christ? And he says, it's John's testimony. Do you believe it or not? <laughs> was it from heaven or was it from the people? And they're freaking out now because what do they say? They say, well, if we say it's from heaven... Why don't you believe him? If we say it's from the people, well, the people believe John was a prophet. Jesus says to them, did you receive John's testimony about me or not? And so they discussed it among themselves just to read on. If we say from heaven, I just said this, didn't I? I just quoted it. He'll say to us, then why did you not believe him? If we say from man, they were afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. So what did they say to Jesus? We don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But I will give you a parable. (laughs) And he goes on to the parable of the two sons. Do you remember the parable of the two sons? You got to love the parable of the two sons. Put it in this context. This is one conversation. I know in your Bible, there's probably a heading that is another parable. No, this is the same conversation. He says, so what do you think? A man has two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go out and work in my vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the sinners, the bad guys will go into the kingdom of God before you. I know it says something else on the screens. You can read it. It's the family service. I think you should explain in your own home what a tax collector is to your children, okay? You know, the son that you wouldn't have thought would have gone was the one who went. And he was the one who actually did the father's will. The other son only gave him lip service. Never went. Lip service. The sinful people in the society of that day were the ones that you would not expect to have turned to God. They're the ones you would not have expected to believe John's baptism. They're the ones that you would not have expected to come and repent of their sins. But they were the ones who did. And the ones who you thought would have led the way, who were who were looking and waiting for the Messiah, were the ones who refused to go in. One group over here, their daily life seemed to be saying no to God, yet they're the ones who went. And then the other group looked like everything that they did, the worship, the offerings, the sacrifices, they're saying, yes, God, yes, God, but their hearts was far, far, far from him. They gave him a big no. They never did the will of the Father. And in verse 32, it says, listen, here's how he ties it all in. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. See, Jesus answered a question for him. He said, did you believe him, right? And they were like, we don't know. And he said, no, you didn't believe him. I'm going to tell you. John came showing you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. 
But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So the challenge is for us today is to make sure that we, you and me, are responding to Jesus, allowing him to confront us at any point where we have been saying yes to God with our lips, but going off in a whole other direction in our lives. Also, let me ask you this question. What things should you and I be doing as followers of Jesus that would challenge the powers of this present world with the news that Jesus is the rightful king? What kind of things should you and I be doing that would make people look at us and ask, by what authority are you doing this? Think about that. We're supposed to be representing him. Our lifestyles, the things that we're supposed to be doing, believing, standing for, the prayers, the bringing the light, the helping people, walking through people with trouble, even the miracles, the supernatural things that surely accompany the gospel, those things in our lives, people are supposed to look at us and say, by what authority are you doing these things? And instead of giving them a a riddle about John the Baptist, we can explain to them about Jesus, the king of the world. (laughs) who is the rightful king, and we're standing here in his authority. And that's why that bondage has got to come off of you right now. And that's why that that sickness has got to leave you right now. That's why that oppression has got to leave you right now. Because Jesus is king. So let's allow him to confront us. Just be open to a change, an interruption in your routine, (laughs) in your system. As a church, let's be open to an interruption in our system because who knows, it might be Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you for this word. I pray that it does take root in my heart and in my life and in our lives, the lives of everyone hearing. Father, I just invite you to invade our lives, interrupt our system, interrupt our church, Lord. Put us on the right track. Lord, we want to be people who serve you, who operate, do things in your authority, and do things that are that are in line with your heart and your mind, and not let these things become just routines and systems. Father God, invade our church. Invade our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.